Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Hey, want to welcome everybody here. If, you, if you're uh, first time visiting with us and you're in this section, could you slip your hand up? Any first time visitors this morning? Yes. Come on. Let's welcome them. We got to, If you keep your hand up, we got a gift for you guys. We just want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us. Over in this section over here, any first time visitors? Raise your hand. Any first timers? No? We got You guys are the amen corner. Amen. How about over here? Any first time visitors over here on this side? You slip your hand up. Awesome. If not, just we love you anyway. <laughs> come on. Has everybody been enjoying the service so far? Yeah, come on. Everybody do this with me. Go. It's good. Breathe them in and breathe them out. I'm going to try to do my best to be short-winded. But um, I really felt that I have a word from the Lord this morning um, that came through a dream this week. And so I know this is for somebody. And so I kind of just want to jump right into it. Uh, Since time has gotten away, turn with me to the book of John, John chapter uh, 12. We're going to be going to John chapter 12. If you have your handouts, we're going to be talking about a topic today called the anointing of Jesus. The anointing of Jesus. And uh, how many are familiar with that story where the woman anoints Jesus' feet and kisses his feet and worships him? The alabaster jar in the box, if you will. Um, and even too, I'm gonna, I don't know if they ever got a chance to queue up that PowerPoint, but if that's possible, I wanted to see if we could throw a slide, just that first slide as we get there. But um, I wanted to, wanted to share with you um, about this message this morning that the Lord had really put on my heart. Earlier this week, I had a dream. I won't go into it. But in the dream, I was talking to a young lady, and I was communicating to her John chapter 12. And I was sharing with her this story about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with the bottle of oil. And that it was very important and very significant. So when I woke up, I was actually going to speak on something completely different this week. But the Lord spoke to me and said, no, you have to share on this. So I really feel that today is marked. That someone here has been marked by the Father. And he has already given dreams. So this is really important today. So just pray with me. Lord, we just invite you into this place. We, we just thank you for what you've already done. We thank you for your presence. And now I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and release wisdom and revelation. Feed us with the knowledge of who you are, Lord. Strengthen our understanding, Father. And I pray right now that you would break open our hearts and our minds. Speak to every one of us today. Your word has power. It has life in it. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray, God, that that word would penetrate our souls and our our hearts today. I pray that the word would build a foundation in us today, Father, that would be able to hold your glory in your presence. Lord, just get me completely out of the way, Lord. And anything I say or do, let it just be from your heart, Lord, your, your very word, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. 
And we're, this story is kind of noted in the other three Gospels. And I kind of want to get there, but I want to share this uh, with you first. So John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And there's some things I want you to highlight as we're reading. Is that okay? Six days before the Passover, that's the timing, right? This is right before the Passover. Jesus arrived, and I really want you to highlight this place, Bethany. Everybody say Bethany with me. Bethany. He arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It was here that a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, as she always does, while Lazarus was among them reclining at the table and with him. And then there was Mary who took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later portray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Hmm, what a statement. There's always an opinion, isn't there? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what he put into it. But Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What a powerful story. So this story is recorded in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. In Matthew 26 and Mark 14, both of those identified the same thing. This occurred right before the Passover. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry, right? This is right before the Passion Week, before he's getting crucified. So they all confirmed that. The second thing, they all confirmed that it took place in the town of Bethany, the town of the village of Bethany where she poured this oil on his feet. So I want to talk real quick, if you, if you just give me a few minutes, about Bethany because there's something really significant here. Bethany in the Bible has two layers of revelation to it. Historically, Bethany in Hebrew is Bet, which is house of, and the other word is dates. It was called the house of dates. Anybody knows what dates are? All right, it's a, it's a fruit, kind of like a fig, and this was a place where they harvested dates. But the other side of this definition of Bethany is a little more interesting, and that's why I want to connect this with. Not only does it mean house of dates, it means house of affliction. Or house of misery. And the third one was the house of the poor or the poor house. I want to say that again. It meant the house of affliction, the house of misery, and the house of the poor. See, Matthew and Mark's account go on to tell us something about the house that Jesus was in. He wasn't in Lazarus' house. He was in a house of a guy known as Simon the leper. See, Bethany, and this is a picture of Bethany, was a leper colony. Now, it was a mile and a half on the other side of Jerusalem. So I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem, have you ever seen a picture of the Dome of Rock, that panoramic view? There's the Mount of Olives right next to it. And then, but if you go over the Mount of Olives, back on the other side, that's where Bethany was. That's where the little town was. And so what would happen during the Passion Week is Jesus would go into the Jerusalem every day and teach in the temple, but at night... He would go back to Bethany, back to the leper colony, the house of the afflicted, 
the house of misery, the house of the poor. You see, under Old Testament law in Leviticus 13, if the priests would interview you and find out that you had a skin disease or an ailment known as leprosy, he would pronounce you as unclean publicly. If you were pronounced unclean publicly, then you were cut off from the rest of God's people. Even probably worse than that, you were isolated from God's presence. So I want us to see this picture that Bethany as a town, as a village, was a town that wasn't popular. It was on the other side of the tracks. It was somewhere where nobody else went because if you went there, it was against the law. You would be considered unclean. You didn't go to the leper colony. It'd be like a, a Creekwood or Houston Moore or even worse than that. Uh, uh, in Los Angeles, they have uh, the homeless district there, Skid Row. It'd be like that type of a village, that type of town. Isn't that unbelievable? You know, this was the ultimate cultural and societal place of rejection. Think about that. Think about if the priest, the authority, deemed you unclean, you can't go into God's presence. You can't go into the temple because of your disease. You're cut off. I mean, imagine the weight of rejection those people live with. Imagine the poor. Not only that, they were poor. They were devastated. They were broken. So this is a place where they receive the poor and the broken. Now, have you, have, you ever, have you ever been humiliated? I'm just getting on a rabbit trail. Has anybody ever been humiliated? I mean, that's not a funny, good feeling, is it? I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, man, and I was messed up when I was in the Marine Corps because I, I started getting in drugs and alcohol real bad. But I will never forget, as I got caught using drugs and right before I was discharged, before I knew the Lord, my first sergeant, he, he pinned me up and called a special formation of 70 other of my Marine fellow friends. And these, we were friends. I mean, I was in two years up until this point. We've been over the world together. We've been, we've been training together. We've been in hanging out together, bars together. I mean, we had a, a bond. But when all this unraveled in my life and I began to get arrested and I began to get in trouble with drugs and alcohol in the Marine Corps, my first sergeant called a special formation one day. And he brought me out and publicly put me right here. And as he did that, he went on to give a speech to the other 70 Marines and said, this is what you don't do. This is the embodiment of a terrible Marine who disgraces the uniform in the country. And he went on to call me every name in the book. And all you could do is take it because that's your first sergeant. You can't, you can't say anything back. But the point is, it was, it was humiliating. It was completely humiliating. Thank God for his redemption because after God redeemed me and all that stuff, I actually have a relationship with some of those sergeants on Facebook now. They follow us on social media. God totally redeemed it. But the point I want to make is that's how I feel how people at Bethany felt. They felt that way, right? So now what does Bethany mean to us today? Bethany represents those places in our hearts that are hidden out of plain sight. These are those places that are private, that we're not proud of, and we're not joyful about. These are those places where we keep into ourselves. We don't want to let anybody know because we've been hurt or we've been wounded. We've been broken by other people's actions or words. We've been abandoned, maybe by the absence of a father or a mother figure. We've been disappointed. There's so many levels of disappointment. Relational emotional, you know, people in relationships, they disappoint us. It just happens. Theological disappointment. You ever, you ever believe for God for something or had a prophetic word and it was going to happen this way and it didn't? 
What a temptation not to get disappointed because you just don't know. These are all those things, private struggles. Man, how many of us have private struggles today of anger or pride or addiction, pornography maybe? You know, these things that we're not proud of. These are these Bethany-type places where, where, where God is just not working in our life. And it's very natural for us to keep them hidden. This is the place where we incur labels. People try to identify us and slap all these titles on us, you know. And, and sometimes we just find that this, this is the place that hurt us, hurt us the most. And I know for a long time, I, there was a lot in my, I had so many Bethanies in my heart. And it was so hard to let that out. And so whether it's big or small for you today, I have good news for you. Guess what the good news is? Jesus comes to Bethany. Come on. You see, not only does he come to visit, but he comes to dwell. Not only does he come to dwell there, he comes to rest there. And not only does he come to rest there, he comes to resurrect there. Oh, we forget that Bethany is the place where Lazarus had died. And it was the place in the time of resurrection, the chapter before. Stay right there. That speaks to us. Lazarus, I, I believe his life was cut short. I believe that man had full potential. Talents, gifting, anointing maybe. He probably had so many things, but when he died, all of that died with him. Wrapped up in grave clothes. But when Jesus came into town, he had a word. Paraphrase, it's not over. This isn't going to end like you think. It's going to end for the glory of the Lord. It's not over. Lazarus, come forth. I have a word this morning in my bones to you today from that dream that God told me to tell you. It may not be profound, but I believe it's powerful. And the Lord told me to tell you this morning, it's not over. Although there are places in your private life that have been severely wounded, although there are things in your marriage that have been broken and covered up, although you might be in a season right now where there is nothing but death and spiritual grief and brokenness, and though it may be a time when your hope has been deferred, your peace is lost, your joy taken away, your calling put on hold, your destiny delayed, although it might be a time when you feel dead and the potential inside of you has been kept because you feel that your desire to be somebody in the kingdom is dead and buried and wrapped in the grave clothes of what other people said to you and the accusations and the afflictions they put on you. I have news this morning that it is not over. Come on. Lazarus, come forth. Some of us need to come forth this morning. 
then we have to have a resurrection. This is the season of resurrection. Listen to me, people. We just moved into March, a prophetic month. Billy Graham just was put in the ground this weekend. His body into the earth, his mantle loosed in the, in the our world. I believe that. And all of a sudden, we have all these winds now. These last few days, we've had strong wind currents. Why? Because this is a turnaround month. This is where things are going to turn around. You have been broken. You've been hurting. You've been attacked. You've been wounded. You've been beat down, pressed down, told whatever. It's the turnaround. It's the turnaround time. Woo. It's a prophetic month. There's a new wind blowing. I got encouragement for us today, people. I got encouragement. Oh, my Lord. He longs to resurrect those things, the talents and the passions, the gifting. My goodness, do you know the potential that you carry? You, everyone in this room has a gifting and anointing, a potential to change the world, a creativity that only you have, a voice that only you can speak, a writing ability that only you can do. But a lot of times those things are buried in, in the places of hurt and Bethany, and we don't want them, they, they can't come forth. But I'm telling you, Jesus is resurrecting those things. I believe that. I believe we're in that season. You see, I've learned that the places where we're attacked the most I want you, can you identify that? Can you identify where you have been attacked the most? Those places where you have been attacked the most are often the places where your greatest potential is resting. It's hidden under there. That's why it's such an attack. Let me give you an example. Let's, let's just take uh, pride, for example. Pride, the, if we all can identify with that. Let's say we sh you have a struggle with pride. And let's say it's not like overbearing, but it's there. Maybe mixed in with a little arrogance and a hint of self-righteousness. It's all tied in together. And, and, and let me just paint the picture a little bit more. What I mean is, like, you know, you, you got the, the right answer all the time. Or, or everything's kind of evolving around you, how you feel, what your day is like, your trials, your triumphs, your joys, your pains. And uh, you just got to have the last word in the argument. You got to have the pick the choice where to go to dinner. You know, just, just those kind of little things that creep up. See, what's happening is if you're attacked there, then the chances are your greatest potential is humility. And so if you ever step into humility, there will be a power from heaven released over your life that will be abnormal. It would be supernatural, even more than people who walk in humility on a daily level because you're tapping into something. I mean, lust, you could do lust the same way. If you're attacked by a spirit of lust, whether that's in pornography, sexual things, or if it's a lust for power, money, and whatever it is, chances are there is a potential of purity resting inside of you. And when you step into the realm of being pure and having a pure heart, Man, there's just no ending to the potential that you can release in the kingdom. But I think you, you get the point. I want you to identify that with me today. Wherever you're attacked at, that place, wherever you're attacked the most, is the place where your greatest potential lies. Go with me. Now, we're going to talk about the anointing of Jesus. If you a few more minutes, hang in with me. It's going to get real good. So here we are at Bethany. Jesus is in this place. He is up in the ghetto. He is in the leper colony house. And he, he just don't care. But he's sitting. He had a relationship with these folks. You know, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they weren't like just partners in ministry. These were his friends. These were like his family. But in this, this thing, and I want to nail this, 
is that when she anoints his feet, something happens. Now, with me real quick, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 26. I want you to turn with me real because I want you to see this. Because there is a revelation here I've never seen before in all my life. Matthew chapter 26. In verse 6. Matthew 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, what she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Hold it right there. Go to the last one, Mark 14. Go to Mark 14. It's paramount that we, we see this. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Mark 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany... Reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard, and she broke the jar of pure nard on his head. Now I'm going to see who's paying attention this morning. All right, if you take John's account and Matthew Mark's account, what is the difference? Where does she anoint in John? Where did she anoint in Matthew and Mark? She didn't just anoint his feet. She broke the jar over his whole head and his body. Now, what would be the significance of that? Why, why would Mary break the jar, take it upon herself to anoint not just his feet, but his entire body with oil? I'm going to get one more step here closer. You don't have to go there, but in Luke chapter 7, there is another account. Not here at Bethany, but prior in the beginning of Jesus' ministry of a sinful woman who takes a jar and pours it on his feet and wipes her feet with her hairs. Her name is Mary. It's at Simon the Pharisee's house, who now scholars and historians say is Simon the leper as well. When the sinful woman anoints his feet, the next passage says this is Mary, who was also called Mary Magdalene. I did a lot of research on this. What I found out is that now, today, scholars and historians are now all beginning to agree and believe that Mary of Bethany is the same Mary of Magdalene. And this is what they base that claim off of. And I think it's beautiful. And it's right in the Word. Last verse, I'm going to read this. This is so powerful. John chapter 11, verse 1. <laughs> I get so excited. John 11. One chapter before that where she's anointing him at Bethany with the Passover. There is a significant verse. Look what it says. In John chapter 11, when he's going to resurrect Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, his sister Martha. Here it is, verse 2. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. Somebody highlight, circle, write it down. The word was was the same Mary who poured the perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet. Was is a past tense to connect to what happened previously because chapter 12 hadn't happened yet. Woo. What are you trying to say in all that? Let me tell you something. Historically and in the Bible, it was customary in the Old Testament that when a king was introduced to the people, there was a ceremony. There was an ancient ceremony where the prophet 
or the high priest would take anointing oil and anoint the king for his public appearance. You read it in Judges where they even anointed Gideon's son before the monarchy. His son was anointed with oil. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul with oil. He anointed David with oil. Elisha, Elisha, they anointed Jehu with oil. It was just customary. And I mean, doesn't it make sense? Because it would give credibility. You need a prophet. You need a high priest to give you credibility to introduce you to the people. In the same way in our world today. Here at this church, we have an ordination process as pastors. Part of our process is that we go through ordination, and then that culminates when we go to a VOA conference, and our spiritual fathers like Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, Heidi Baker, all lay hands on us, pray over us, and commission us. Education the same way. When you graduate with the diploma, it's usually the chancellor or the dean of students or the administrative staff that hand you the diploma. In the business world, it's either a CEO or a board or somebody that validates, recognizes you, and gives you whatever you need for your promotion. Are you getting the point? The point is we, it, we like that, right? We like to have people in important roles, high positions to validate and to, un, to, to, to put the solidify of the accomplishments that we're making. So what does all that mean? Isn't it like Jesus? Isn't it like Jesus? See, no one took the opportunity to anoint him with oil. John unbaptized him with water and introduced him as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. But yet there was nobody there that anointed him with oil. I wondered why. This is what I think. I think his disciples all the way struggled with seeing him as a king. I think they saw him as the lamb. They saw him as a good teacher, a prophet, even the son of God, what Peter confessed. But a king would be a stretch. Because when you start talking you're a king, then you start incurring persecution from all the authorities around you. But I think what happened in that room at Simon the leper's house is that Mary, who was transformed and redeemed when she came in contact with the love and the presence of Jesus, took it upon herself, had a revelation that this isn't just the lion. He's not just the lamb. He's not just the savior. He's just not the healer. He's just not the teacher. He is the king. He is the king. And she took an opportunity that not even the 12 disciples took and broke the box over his head, anointed Jesus, and commissioned him. Because the next passage says, here comes your king, O Israel, riding on a donkey. Oh, he didn't take a thoroughbred. He got, someone like me, I'd have to ride a Clydesdale into that thing. <laughs> but he took a donkey who had never been ridden before. I'm going to tell you something that we never forget, folks. He's a king high and lifted up, but he's a king that still rides on a donkey. <laughs> he's humble and he's meek, and he doesn't need the credibility of a prophet. He doesn't need the validation of an apostle or a good preacher or somebody who's fine dressed and all this flash and lights. He doesn't need that. He just needs somebody who's been redeemed from the place of transformation to anoint him as king. Come on now, hang with me now. You know why it's hard for us to see him as a king in this generation? 
Because when you see him as a king, you elevate him to rule in the Bethany's of your heart. You, you, you bring him in to those hurtful places and you say, you're going to rule and reign here. You're going to establish your throne. You're going to build a castle of fortified love and mercy and forgiveness that nothing will ever be able to trump. Come on. That's what we do. We invite the king into those places and he comes. Woo! And he, he reigns supreme. I, I, man, this is all about Jesus today. He is so secure as a king and as the son of God. He doesn't need those things to validate who he is. He's not looking for the fake, y'all. He's not looking for the fake stuff. He's looking for the genuine person. He's not requiring perfection. He's asking for humility and, and, and holiness, purity. To say, you know what, I did mess up, God. I am broken. But Lord, I want you to rule and reign in those places. So what did she do? She broke the box over his head. In seven minutes, I'm going to finish this. There's three breakings when she broke that jar. That I just want to give us three breakings. The first one was the breakthrough. (laughs) The anointing of Jesus will release a breakthrough in your life. But breakthrough, I want us to see, is not something that just we need when we get in a bind. Breakthrough is a perpetual relationship that we could live in all the time when he's king and ruler in our hearts. You see, she had this bottle of anointing oil. And what that jar represents on one hand is it holds the precious oil. It's a container. But that's just it. It holds it in. That represents your anointing. Everyone in this house, John 2, 1 John 2, 27, has an anointing. You have an anointing from God. You have calls and gifts and talents and abilities. But a lot of times they're constricted. And so what happens is these, these jars, these containers, what this represents is other people's critical view of you. And we allow other people's view of us to constrain the anointing, to hold in who we are really meant to be as children of God. It becomes bottled up. What did Judah say? Hey, why wasn't this sold to the poor? Why, why, why wasn't this? So why'd you do that, Mary? Why wasn't this sold to the poor? See, they were surrounded by very broken and devastated people. But remember what Jesus said to Judas, you're always going to have the poor with you. But not me always. Here's another thought I want to submit to you. You see that oil, as, now you can read it, but as I read all accounts, I always assumed she bought that oil with her own money. But that's not what the word says. She says she took it and poured it out. Oh, man. So the question is, if it wasn't hers, then whose was it? I believe, according to Judas's con- condemning tone, I think what happened is that here they are traveling. People are donating money. That's what happens in ministry, itinerant ministry. and tra- People are giving love offerings, donating money. It goes to the money bag or the church fund. Judas held the what? The money bag. So I think there was probably a committee at some point that said, we're going to buy this perfume for Jesus' death. That's what it's intended for because he's telling us that's what's going to happen. But Mary took it upon herself to take that which was not hers and break it over the Lord's head to anoint him with oil. 
Because if it was hers, why would you just say that? It would be hers. She could do what she wanted to. But the fact that he said, wait a minute, we have a disagreement how we're going to use church funds. But she said, I see a higher truth because I see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm going to anoint him with everything that I have. See, sometimes the view of others constricts us and constrains us. But when Mary did this, it was a prophetic act and a declaration. It was so powerful. I believed it moved him. I believe when she did this, it moved him. Because she didn't care what Judas thought. She didn't care what he said. She said, I'm going to bless you and pour this over you. And when she did that, I believe it moved him. I want you to hear this word. You have the ability to move God. I was in a rough time when I was at college in Regent, Virginia Beach, several years ago. I was in my car praying. And the Lord spoke to me one morning, and he said, you want to know something, Michael? I said, what, Lord? He said, you inspire me. I said, you, how, do, how do I inspire? I've been like three years clean off of 10 years of crack and heroin and sexual prostitution. How can someone whose life like that inspire a God like you? He said, I'm going to tell you why. He said, because every day you say yes. And every day you choose not to go back to drugs. Every day you choose not to look at pornography. Every day you choose not to put the cigarette back in your mouth. Every day you choose to do the right thing. You inspire me to have grace with the millions and millions of other people who are still caught in the struggle. I want you to know today that you inspire him. You move him. When you choose to do the right thing every day of your life, you move the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we just got to get to that place where we break the bottle. We break the critical view. We break the box. You see, some of you right here have been experiencing. You know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I feel we're under, we've been in a season of attacking the church, not just ours. I'm just talking about in general, the body of Christ. And one of the number one attacks has been is this right here. This tongue. You know, this is that double-sided tongue James talked about. <laughs> One side was saying, brother, I love you. I got your back. Man, you're just awesome. And, uh, man, this is powerful. And then over here, you're meeting with somebody that maybe has an offense against you or jealousy, and they're like, da, 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 I don't know about so-and-so. I don't know about them, man. They're kind of losing it, you know. And what's happening is, is we're fortifying and fueling the enemy through what we're saying and what we're talking with that double-sided tongue. And what that does is it creates like this, this content, this, this jar, if you will, that will hold in the anointing, that will hold in all those things that, that we have. But what I want to tell us today is sometimes you just got to break the box. Sometimes you just got to break the box. You have to break that box, the jars of insecurity, the box of accusation, the box of whatever it is. You have to break that box. Let me tell you something what it's like. I'm going to tell you how to break the box. God, man, hang with me one more, few more minutes. Revelation. I sat and I prayed, Lord, how do we break the box? God said, you're in a new season right now, March 2018. Listen to me. He said, there's a season and a time to break this spirit of double-sided tongue and slander, gossip, and all that mess. He said, this is how you do it. He said, listen. In Matthew 16, 18, he told Peter, listen to me, Peter. I'm, I'm upon you. I'm going to build this, the revelation of who I am. I'm going to build my church on the rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom to bind 
and to loose. Right now, we're in a season where the enemy is trying to come through this right here in your life. I really believe that somehow, some way. But I'm telling you, here's the strategy. Don't bind the darkness. Don't bind the devil. Don't bind the spirits. We know they're there. We know they're at working. We know all that. It's a spiritual war. But we're in a time right now where we are not to engage in binding the devil, but loosing the kingdom of light and truth and honesty in the place of prayer. Woo! Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a key to bind and there's a key to loose. And in this season, it's the key to loose. Come on, so what's that look like if you're under the rug and under the gun? You're saying, Lord, I bring light. I prophesy light into the darkness right now. God, I speak a culture of peace into the confusion. God, I speak love into the lust. God, I speak your word into the lie. I speak your truth into the false belief systems. God, have your way. Culture of heaven, come. Invade this place. Remove everything that is not there. You know what starts happening? You start breaking the box. Until it's broken, it's gone. And this right here is the anointing, the talents, and the gifts that have been held and contained. But now they're open and free. Break that box. Come on. Break that box. Break that box. You got to break that thing. You got to break that box. You got to break it. You got to break it. You got to break it. My kids will serve the Lord. My husband will serve God. My wife will serve the Lord. They will not die but live and declare the word of the Lord. They are the head and not the tail. They are the beginning and not the end. You got to break the box. You got to break the box. That's what happens when we come together. Do you feel that in this room right now? You're not caring about what people think because you're moved by the Spirit, not me. And when we do this together corporately, forget it. The presence of God comes in, and there is no darkness that can handle that. Jesus. Oh, if he could just keep us in and contain us. Man, I was in a box for so long. I'm tired of being in a box. I was in the car wash yesterday with one of my kids. And we're sitting there in the car wash. And there's a parakeet in the birdcage. That's like an like a amusement thing. And I'm sitting there. And I'm this beautiful parakeet. But all I can think of, I want to let this bird out. I want to open the cage door so bad. And I want to let this thing fly. He's got poop all over him. He's got the bird feet everywhere. The water's Some birds ain't meant to be caged. And we're in a season where God is opening the bird cages in the spirit. And you're going to sing songs of glory and Zion and victory. That you have not sung in a long time. Remember the key to this season. Loose and don't bind. Release it. Second thing. Oh man, we're almost there. Wrapping up. The breakthrough leads to the breakout. (laughs) Mary's personal breakthrough led to a corporate breakout. 
See, what happens is when you begin to walk in this arena and you're personally breaking through all the challenges and barriers, now the environments that you're around begin to be swept into your breakthrough. And the, your breakthrough becomes a breakout. And now the whole thing is being spread all around. You see, you, we put them in a box, but we got to break the box. See, one thing is breaking up their, their box. There's another box we have to break. That's the box that we put Jesus in. Some of us put Jesus in a box. Woo. He's got to move this way. He's got to do it this way. I didn't grow up with that type of faith. Man, I didn't grow up with the preacher slinging toothbrushes and boxes all over the stage. I didn't grow up in a church where the tabernacle was set up. I don't even know what all that's about. You got to break the box. You got to break the box. See, what happens is, oh, man, we encounter the Lord, and it's genuine, and we stay right there. And we build right there, and we never move forward. That's how denominations were created. Baptists were built on the revelation of water baptism. Pentecostals were built on the, the, the revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and on and on it goes. But Jesus cannot be contained by a singular formula or a theology. Come on. Woo. Jesus. And so what happens, he gets stirring inside of you, and sometimes you just got to break the box and let Jesus out. Some of you just got to let Jesus out. Some of you got to get like this right here in your feet. You got to do a little dance. You got to do a jig. You got to do something that you, you normally wouldn't do. I'm telling you, it looses Jesus out in the room. Not emotionalism, not manipulation, not hype. But sometimes we don't even realize that we put him in this box. God, you can only move this way, and you can only do it that way. And then we're miserable, and we lose our joy, and we don't even know why. We got to take the limits off God. We got to let him move. We got to let him move. Here's the, a simple word for that. Give God elbow room to move, and watch what he'll do. He will move so so mightily in your life. How do you do that? Three things. Have an open mind. Have a teachable spirit. And have a willing attitude. How do you break that theological box that we put Jesus in? Have an open mind that is thinking on the line of transformation and not conformity. Have a teachable spirit. This means you're flexible in all situations. And having a willing attitude. Meaning that, that you have a willingness to do what it takes but here's the clause, without complaining. <laughs> That's the hard one. But when we do this, this is all forms of repentance. So what are you saying? I'm boiling it down real simple. Repentance is the way we break the theological box that we put Jesus in. The last part we're closing here is the break-in. In this progression, when there is a breakthrough... And Jesus begins to break out, it leads to the break-in. To the break-in. You know what? I have to share this other part real quick. When Mary, I'm sorry, I just feel the Lord. When Mary anointed that oil with Jesus, that, that, the breakout, before we go to the break-in, the breakout, what did it do? It changed the environment. And how did it do that? It was her oil. You see, that oil was nard, spinkered, pure oil. That oil was used in Exodus chapter 30 
when the high priest would burn incense before the Ark of the Covenant. That was the same oil used as incense. So that incense would fill the whole tabernacle with the aroma of the Lord, and it would ooze all the way out. Historically, that oil by ancient Roman Greece was used, listen to this, because they said it had healing properties in it that would produce tranquility and calmness into high-stress environments. So when she poured that oil, she released calmness and tranquility into that atmosphere where Jesus was. And it filled the house with the fragrance of the spirit of peace and calmness. It's like our heart, I say. Our heart can give an aroma. It can give off a good, pleasing smell aroma. Or it can get a real stinky, bad odor aroma. I've been, I've been, on, I've been working out at the gym the last few months. I sweat. I sweat like a, like a slave, man. I sweat like a banshee. Whew. And when I come home, I stink. I'm just going to be honest. And every time I always want to grab Amber, give her a kiss, and all, she's like, get away from me. Get away. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I, I, I try, the girls, you know, they usually come and hug me. They're like, no, no, daddy, no way. You can wring my shirt out. I have a bad aroma. Whew. But when you get in the shower, Amber gets this Dove. You know, it's Dove, the body moisture lotion, Dove. It's so good on the skin, but it has a really good smell that kind of stays. And so when I take that shower and I get out, I'm releasing a good aroma. All of a sudden, Amber wants to come, hey, how's your day? How you doing? And the kids want to come up and jump in daddy's arms. Do you get the point? When we mix a little bit of offense or a little bit of pride or a little bit of bitterness or unforgiveness in the place of our prayer, it releases a bad aroma that no one wants to be around. Whew. But when we do it with the place of purity, it literally transforms the whole atmosphere. This last part about the break-in, I thought this was interesting. When the progression of the breakthrough and the breakout happened, then Jesus actually broke in. And he broke in on Mary's behalf. He came to her rescue, even to his own leadership team. <laughs> his own disciples. He defended her. She didn't have to defend herself. Oh, I always say this. You never have to defend the truth. The truth will always defend itself. And you remember that the next time you get an accusation or arguing match. You don't have to defend yourself. See, this leadership team, sometimes they didn't do it right. In fact, many times they argued what who was the greatest. They jockeyed for position. Who was going to be next to the Lord? They jockeyed for his favor. They fought over each other's anointing. They even tried to call fire down in a village to burn a whole village. Jesus was like, what spirit are you? And Mary had to submit to that. She was under the leadership of the 12. So when this happened and Judas kind of scolds her, in every account she never says anything. But who says and does the talking? Jesus. Leave her alone. You always have the poor, but you're not always going to have me. I want to speak to this right now. I feel many of you here today have been wounded right here. 
I was preparing for this, and God, I started crying because I felt it. I feel many here today have been wounded here. You have ventured out and expressed your worship and praise, and it was criticized, whether in this church or in another church or wherever. There, it was actually criticized and not welcomed by some leadership, and it formed a wound in you, maybe even rebuked by them. But I feel God is healing that wound right now because you chose what was greater, and you didn't argue, and you didn't defend, and you didn't justify. Now God is going to break in in this season. Some would fall into the trap here if they're not mature enough and they would challenge the out-of-line leadership. They would challenge them. I see it all the time. But Mary was so focused. She was so consumed. And she was so in love with Jesus that it didn't matter what the leadership did. It didn't matter what they did. It takes a spirit of determination and endurance not to allow the mistakes of church leaders to hinder your own walk with the Lord. And I want to implant this in us because we are going to be a church that is going to be foundationally sound, fundamentally sound in doctrine, not flaky, not blowing by the wind, tossed to and fro, but able to measure and discern good and evil to take not just the milk, but the meat of the word without it getting to our heads, without being arrogant, without collecting titles for ourselves, but giving crown to Jesus where it is due. Can you get the worship team up here? Can you call the worship team up here, Mark? Stand with me, please. I want to. I here's a story on that as they come up. I'm gonna tell you, man. I, I walked through this thing so hard when I was when I, when I first came to the Lord. I was in a drug faith based program. Good God Almighty. I had I was under submission to counselors, and we had a whole leadership of counselors there who were recovering addicts who had been clean maybe eight months to a year longer than me. And it was a no-smoking policy here, no, no tobacco. Now, I had struggled with cigarettes for many years, so I was in the process of trying to quit. They would throw you out if they, if they caught you. And, uh, yeah, you guys, you just jump ahead. Just start right in whenever you get up there. But what, what blew me away about this was <laughs> these guys, bless their hearts, they were trying, but they weren't doing it right. And they were smoking cigarettes themselves. Now, this, this was the leadership of the church, of the, of the faith-based program. So several of them would be smoking cigarettes, breaking the rules, but throwing out people in the program who they caught doing it. Here I am, I'm, I'm, six I'm not even six months, I'm like four months clean, I'm into this program, and I'm having a hard time with that. And I really struggled with it. And I said, is this is what this is all about? I don't want anything to do with it. Is this, is this what it looks like? And I thank God for my dad. I told my dad in my frustration, I, I vented. He said, son, there's always going to be flaws in leadership. But you can't look to that. You have to stay focused on who Jesus is and where he's calling you to go. 
And that's a word here this morning. You have to be focused, whether that leadership is here, at your job, your family, wherever it is. You have to be focused. Don't, don't worry about it. If you know where God's called you to be, He's going to work it out. Now, there's, of course, talks and things we do. But the point is, don't allow other people's failures or faults to hinder your own walk with the Lord. Don't allow your ability to see to hinder your ability to submit. So, Jesus, we just uh, thank you right now. I just feel the Lord, I just want to give an invite. I feel like some of you have been constrained, and uh, there's a call right now, and I feel like there's several things, but I just want to call anybody up, and let's just have a time of, of seeking the Lord. We want, to, we want to call you to this altar. This is what I found. I, I felt like if you need to repent. Like if there's some things you need to just ask forgiveness for, whatever that is, I want to call you forward up here, and let's do some time with God. But then also, I feel like there's been a struggle with leadership. You've had some really challenges with maybe even your work leadership, your employer, your employees. It's been very challenging, and you've not known what to do. I want to call you up here. Come on, and I just want you just to take a moment and just begin to press into the Lord. Just begin to press into the Lord. And if you're here, if you just need a touch from the Lord, and you just need a Holy Spirit encounter, I want to call you up. And let's just spend a few more moments in worship and just, just seek the Lord. Father, I thank you today, Lord, for this service, for your word, Lord. And Lord, I, I just, I want to live in breakthrough, God. I want to live in a life that is continually being broken through and out and in and all around, God. So that when people see me, they don't see me. That, that when they hear me, they don't hear my voice. And they don't see my eyes. But they see you, the burning man. They see you in every area of our life. And so, Lord, I just, just right now, I just come before you and I repent, Lord. And Lord, I just, I, you've had me here, Lord. And I feel like sometimes I've had the double-sided tongue, Lord. I feel like sometimes I've said things that I shouldn't have, Lord. And I've thought things that I shouldn't have, Lord. And so, Lord, I just ask for forgiveness this morning, Lord. Purify our hearts, Jesus. Cleanse us, Lord. Make us a people that are pure and holy before you, God. Let's just spend a few moments. Just, just lift your voice there and pray to the Lord. Just begin to speak to him. Thank you.